Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. Every week, we discuss issues including income inequality and gender. This time, we're talking about President Biden's promise to nominate a black woman to be the next Supreme Court justice. He's already getting blowback from some Republicans and conservatives, but Renee Kanaki Jefferson, Doherty Chair in Legal Ethics at the University of Houston Law Center and co-author of Shortlisted, Women in the Shadows of the Supreme Court, says it's about time. That conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. In my view, we should have had a black woman on the Supreme Court over 40 years ago. I mean, Ronald Reagan had on his shortlist when he gave the nation its first female Supreme Court justice in Sandra Day O'Connor. He had on his shortlist a number of women, including Amalia Kears, who is a black woman who to this day sits in senior status as a judge on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And Reagan had more than one vacancy So he could have easily given the nation not only its first white female justice, but its first black female justice. And so when I say it's disheartening, in a sense, to be talking about this today, I I wish this was old news. But I, I don't mean in any way to diminish how important and significant it is for this country to finally after really a a lifetime of uh, the possibility of having a Black woman on on the court, that we will, in fact, see that happen. I wonder if you are at all surprised uh, over some of the attacks already over this. Ted Cruz said it would be offensive to Black women. He said that basically... It makes it makes everyone else, particularly white men, ineligible for this. There was the uh, incoming professor at Georgetown who basically said if he didn't nominate a different person, then you would get a lesser black woman. And someone else said that whoever he nominates would be a beneficiary of affirmative action. Well, I find all of those comments outrageous and ridiculous. Sadly, I guess, not surprising in, in part because I know from a, a, an extensive media study that I have conducted on how female nominees to the Supreme Court are treated versus men, that uh, women are often unfairly scrutinized. And, you know, the, the claim that this somehow excludes white men from the role, I mean, <laughs> for most of this country's history, only white men were allowed to be considered and we have an extraordinary number of highly qualified black female lawyers and judges. It is a long time coming. And any suggestion that this is affirmative action or that somehow the woman who is selected isn't deserving is, is laughable. If you look at the qualifications of the women that have been named on Biden's shortlist, all of them 
if not match, it in fact exceed the qualifications of the mostly white men who have held seats on the court before them. Why do women face more harsh scrutiny? I mean, it's not as silly as, well, you know, you're missing that, you know, one appendage that men have that women do not. I mean, what, what's behind all that? Well, I think part of it is a relic of the fact that for, again, most of this country's history, women were excluded from professional life. You know, when, when Sandra Day O'Connor was the, the first woman to join the Supreme Court in 1981, it, there wasn't even uh, there weren't even appropriate bathroom facilities for her. It was just unthinkable that a woman would be present. And and while now, of, of course, our, 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 our courthouses are, are better suited in some ways for women to be present in them, <laughs> a lot of that bias still still remains. And. It also, I think, uh, reflects the fact that there is um, quite a bit of implicit bias that remains against women and especially minority women from holding these roles. It's still considered unusual, even though it shouldn't be. Since this is not going to change the conservative versus liberal makeup of the court, what difference would it make if a black woman is nominated and perhaps elevated to the court? Well, you you raise an important point. I mean, the reality is this new justice is not going to dramatically change the ideological makeup of the 6-3 court that we have. But the votes of a justice are only a, a part of what it means to be a member of the United States Supreme Court. And this appointment is highly significant because it, it represents a step forward in the Supreme Court progressing to more accurately reflect the public it serves. That matters for institutional legitimacy. I mean, the Supreme Court has no authority other than the belief the public puts into it. And having a Black woman sitting on that court will enhance its institutional legitimacy because it will more accurately, again, reflect the public that it serves. It's also significant because This will inspire a whole new generation of young girls to not just maybe become lawyers or judges, but to realize that they can pursue the highest pinnacle in their chosen career, whether they want to be a Supreme Court justice or they want to ascend to the top of of any role that they hope to hold in the future. So I think it matters both for the legitimacy of the court and also for inspiring the next generation who will be coming along to see a woman, a black woman in that role. I wonder what you think of the optics of there being a liberal black justice on the same court as conservative black man, Clarence Thomas. Well, it it will be an interesting balance. You know, there are a number of things that are going to shift in terms of optics here. So for the first time ever, we will have four women on the court. For the first time ever, we will have four women who won't agree uh, for the first time ever, we will uh, have two African-American justices on the court, and they also uh, likely won't agree a lot of the time. And I think this is really Im- important to note because there has been this idea, and I, I think it was very true, especially when only Sandra Day O'Connor sat on the court, that somehow we checked the box and all women were now represented because that one woman was present. And the reality is no no single person can represent all of the views of whatever different attributes they, they bring. And so we will now have a court where um, 
there is diversity in terms of you know, race, ethnicity, and gender and viewpoint. And I think all of that is, is significant. We also will have a, a liberal block of justices, or at least comparatively liberal block of justices, who will be all female. And it will be very interesting to see how they wield the power of the dissent, because I imagine that they will find themselves in dissent quite a bit. But because there are only three of them, I wonder whether you think it's going to make a huge difference in the court's rulings as a whole. You know what I mean? Well, it won't change the outcome in the case before them, to be sure, if they find themselves in dissent. But dissents can be very powerful for a couple of reasons. First, a, a dissent can coalesce individuals around an issue. For example, Ruth Bader Ginsburg famously dissented in the Lilly Ledbetter fair pay case, and that ended up actually becoming the first piece of legislation that President Obama signed when he became president, a fair, a fair Pay Act. And sometimes the dissents can actually lay the groundwork for what is going to become a majority opinion in the future by staking out the, the, the way forward. And so there is power, although it will not be immediate, what they will write in dissent can become very significant over time. Who do you think he's going to pick? And have you heard the speculation, although the vice president says she doesn't want it, but what do you think about the speculation that she might be in the running for this? Well, she certainly is qualified for it. And so we can add her again to the abundant list of highly qualified black women who could and should be sitting on our our Supreme Court. I doubt that she will be the pick, uh, in part because President Biden has said he's helping her with the selection process. Although I would just make the point that in history, sometimes it has been the case that the individual tasked with vetting ends up being the one selected. Uh, Chief Justice William Rehnquist is perhaps the most famous for, as an example of that. But but the name that keeps coming up at the top of everyone's list is Katanji Brown-Jackson. I think that's because she was recently confirmed last year by this very same Senate for the seat she now holds on the D.C. Court of Appeals. So it would be pretty tough for the senators to suddenly say now, oh, we we don't support her. And in fact, she received bipartisan support. Three Republicans did vote for her. She has, uh, on the one hand, credentials that are elite and very similar to justices sitting on the court today, for example, where she went to law school, Harvard, the fact that she sat on both the federal district court and the federal court of appeals, the DC circuit court of appeals, some say is the most important next to the Supreme court, but she also offers diversity beyond uh, being a black woman. For example, she was a federal public defender and she would be the only former public defender on the court. That matters because of course the public defender is someone who represents an individual who can't afford a lawyer that would bring a very different perspective. And so it would not be surprising at all to me if, she ends up being who Biden picks. It sounds like you think whomever the president picks, this is going to be a pivotal moment for the court and the nation. Absolutely. And my hope is that is an opportunity for the country really to come together and celebrate. That's what happened when Reagan put O'Connor on the court. It was a pivotal moment in the life of this country and thinking about our progress forward. 
And I, I hope that's exactly what happens with this nomination too. It's a very exciting time. It's a very long time coming. And as a scholar who has researched shortlists going back to the early 1930s, I can tell you that it will be very exciting to see a Black woman not just shortlisted, but selected for the United States Supreme Court. That's Renee Kanaki Jefferson, Doherty Chair in Legal Ethics at the University of Houston Law Center and co-author of Shortlisted, Women in the Shadows of the Supreme Court. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? Come back for more and listen up. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Friday. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.